0: Welcome to The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy. Listen to Joe tackle the really tough moral issues, current events, and politics from a Catholic perspective. Now here's Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy. Hello
1: Sixpackers and welcome back to The Cantankerous Catholic, episode 26. This is the final episode of June, and July is the month when we celebrate the founding of America, so I thought it would be cool to celebrate America all next month. However, for this final episode of June, I feel the need to talk about God's justice and the sense of justice He's instilled in us all. We'll talk about that when we return.
0: What Did Billy D. Williams The celebrated American artist Norman Rockwell and famed comedian Jimmy Durante have to do with one man's journey from conservative Judaism to the cross. Everything. Marty Barrick has lived one of the most fascinating conversion journeys ever told. In Calvary Road, Marty's biography, you can read about Marty's military service with Billy V. Williams. How Norman Rockwell helped him pass a college course. How, in his deep abiding love for his late wife, Marty helped Irene travel the road of sanctity. How the times are quickly reaching critical mass for fulfilling prophecy concerning the Jews. And much, much more. Get your copy of Calvary Road by Marty Barrick today in print or ebook on Amazon, Apple Books, Barnes & Noble, and Kobo.
1: Dr. Charles Krauthammer was a well-respected conservative political pundit who died a year ago. I was watching a Fox News program the other day when they mentioned the one-year anniversary of his death. I was never a big fan of his because I believe he wasn't really all that conservative, but I have to admit that he was admirable for his approach to life after becoming paraplegic from a diving accident. May Dr. Krauthammer rest in the peace of God. The thing that caught my attention in the mini-tribute Fox News had for Dr. Krauthammer was what the Catholic host said. He indicated that Dr. Krauthammer now resides in heaven. That statement is indicative of a very dangerous heresy that's flowed over from Protestantism into the thinking of Catholics, and I think it needs to be addressed. I should preface this by saying that none of this has to do with Dr. Krauthammer. I'm not judging the state of his soul, which is something I cannot and will not do. All I know about him is that he was a Jew, and some of the things he said led me to believe that he embraced the Jewish heritage but rejected a belief in God. But that doesn't mean I'm judging the final destination of his soul. It's never wise to question or make assumptions about God's graces or an individual's relationship to him. The bottom line is that this has nothing to do with Dr. Krauthammer. The tribute to him was just the inspiration for this episode. The very dangerous Protestant heresy I was referring to is the assumption that the souls of the people who die take a straight shot to heaven. First of all, both Scripture and Our Lady of Fatima tell us that very few souls actually even make it to heaven. Recalling one of the spiffy coffee mug sayings I use that says that a highway to hell and a stairway to heaven tells us about the anticipated traffic numbers is a pretty good summation of truth. For those who are actually saved after death, almost no one goes straight to heaven. That's because there's this pesky little reality called purgatory. Many Catholics no longer believe in purgatory, and some think the Church no longer teaches it to be a reality. But this couldn't be farther from the truth. According to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, all who die in God's grace and friendship, but still imperfectly purified, are indeed assured of their eternal salvation, but after death they undergo a purification so as to achieve the holiness necessary to enter the joy of heaven. The church gives the name purgatory to this final purification of the elect, which is entirely different from the punishment of the damned. So it's in purgatory that the last vestiges of love of self are transformed into love of God. Purgatory is a testimony to God's mercy and justice. Because he's infinitely merciful, as well as infinitely just, purgatory is a necessity. If God were more merciful than just, he'd be imperfect, but his justice balances his mercy, and he gave us all our sense of mercy and justice. Let's try to demonstrate this with an example. Let's say you have to borrow your friend's car. Your friend's happy to let you borrow it, but he asks that you return it by a specific time because of an appointment he has. You get into the car to begin running the errands you need to take care of, trying to be mindful of the time. As it turns out, the errands take a little longer than you anticipated, and you realize it's getting close to the time your friend needs his car back. In your rush to get the car returned, you take a corner a little too quickly and a little too sharply. As a result, you crease the fender of your friend's car on a fire hydrant at the corner. When you return the car, you tell your friend about the fender bender. You say, I'm really very sorry. Will you forgive me? Your friend's a good Catholic, so he smiles and says, sure, I forgive you. Now pay for my fender. His response to this is natural, and we'd think him a little bit loony if he didn't ask us to fix our boo-boo. This is just an example of the sense of justice God instilled in all of us, because we're created in His image and likeness. In all things, every action we take, or decision we make, has consequences. This used to be evident in how our criminal justice system worked before the world became so insane. In criminal law, if you commit a crime, you're sent to jail. The way it's supposed to work is that after you do your time, you're forgiven by the state and start all over with a clean slate. But notice that there are still consequences. If you commit a crime, you have to do reparation for that crime by spending time in jail. It's no different with God. We'd get rid of any judge who had a murderer in front of him and said, You're sorry for the murder you committed? Oh, well, that changes everything. The people hereby forgive you. You're free to go. We'd think this judge is nuts, wouldn't we? A price has to be paid for that murder. Granting forgiveness is good and the right thing to do, but punishment must be meted out for the crime even after the murderer is forgiven. Why in the world, then, would we expect any different reparation from God? He forgives, but he still demands justice. Although purgatory isn't explicitly mentioned in the Bible, the concept of a place of purification is certainly implied. Jesus said in Luke 12:59, I tell you you will not get out till you have paid the very last penny. He also mentions in Matthew 12:32 the sin for which there is no forgiveness in this world or in the world to come. This implies the venial sins can be forgiven in the next world. But where? Hell is eternal punishment and nothing unclean shall enter heaven according to Revelation 21:27 and even venial sin causes the soul to be unclean, the implication then is clearly purgatory. Paul tells us that at the day of judgment, each man's work will be tried. This trial happens after death. What if a man's work fails the test? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3 verses 13 through 15 that he will be the loser and yet will be saved, though only as men are saved by passing through fire. Now this loss, this penalty, can't refer to consignment in hell since no one is saved there, and heaven can't be met since there's no suffering or fire there. Purgatory alone explains this passage. Some say God doesn't demand expiation after having forgiven sins. Well, tell that to King David. When David repented, God sent the prophet Nathan with a message for him. In 2 Samuel 12, 14, Nathan told David, The Lord on his part has forgiven your sin. You shall not die. But since you have utterly spurned the Lord by this deed, the child born to you must surely die. Even after David's sin was forgiven, he had to undergo expiation. Can we expect any less? The church has always believed in purgatory. The Bible mentions the need to pray for the dead. In 2 Maccabees 1246, it says, It is a holy and wholesome thought to pray for the dead, that they may be loosed from their sins. There are also inscriptions of prayers for the dead in the catacombs, where Christians stayed largely hidden during the great Roman persecutions of the first three centuries. Finally, we have the writings of early Christians, such as Tertullian, who lived from A.D. 160 to 240, Cyprian, who lived from 200 to 258, Cyril of Jerusalem, who lived from 315 to 386, Ambrose, who lived from 340 to 397, John Chrysostom, who lived from 344 to 407, and Augustine, who lived from 354 to 430, all to tell us about the need to pray for the dead. Now what makes ignoring purgatory or denying it so dangerous? Well, by ignoring or denying the existence of purgatory, this means the souls of those who are died aren't being prayed for. Those departed souls are languishing in their suffering. Some will be in purgatory till the end of time. There are only two differences between purgatory and hell. The first difference is duration. Hell will last forever, and the souls there will never get out. Purgatory, on the other hand, will only last until the end of time. Admittedly, the end of time could be tomorrow, but it likely won't be. Don't forget that the Christians of the first century were expecting Jesus to return then, so purgatory could be a reality for thousands of years yet. The second difference between hell and purgatory is intensity. Purgatory is just as intense as hell when the soul first arrives there. Over a period of time, as the soul's expiation takes place, the suffering lessens but even one minute of time in purgatory is immense suffering. I don't know about you, but I don't want to suffer the pains of purgatory for even one second, so I want people praying for my soul. In fact, I frequently tell friends I'd appreciate it if they'd pray for my soul if they never see me again. My former pastor was four years younger than me in the picture of health. He unexpectedly died one night. As far as I'm concerned, this priest was close to being a saint, if not already one. But God hasn't put me in charge of deciding who is and isn't a saint, so I don't know the disposition of his soul. I pray for him and to him every day. An older lady in my parish, who should have known better, told me before a memorial mass for him that he's in heaven. I wonder that we can't know that, so we're obligated to pray for his release from purgatory. She actually got angry with me about that. She doesn't realize what a terrible disservice she's doing for Father by insisting he's in heaven and refusing to pray for his soul. I hope she's right about him being in heaven, but what if he's not? She doesn't know he's in heaven any more than I know that he's in purgatory, and maybe her prayers would be just the thing to put Father over the top, so to speak, to win his freedom from purgatory. What if she's right and I'm wrong, that Father's soul is already in heaven? Does that mean my prayers for Father are wasted? Of course not. I may be praying for him, but he's already in heaven, so God applies my prayers to the souls in purgatory who are most in need of his mercy. There's an excellent book on purgatory by Father Francis Xavier Shoup. Oddly enough, it's titled, guess what, Purgatory. The first half of the book talks about God's justice in purgatory. The second half of the book talks about his mercy there. The main body of Father Shoop's book is drawn from 2,000 years of actual supernatural and preternatural events relating to purgatory. It's been at least 20 years since I've read this book, but I'd like to relate a story from it from memory. The book is so good that I can recall things from it 20 years after reading it. There were these two best friends who grew up together. They grew up in the same neighborhood, attended the same schools, and attended the same parish. They went to the same college together, and both men decided to become priests and attended the same seminary to be ordained by the same bishop. As they grew older, they began to discuss their eternal destinies. They made a pact. They agreed that when one of them died, the other would immediately say a mass for the soul of his deceased friend. The day came when one of the priests took to his deathbed. His best friend was there at his side, praying for his friend's final perseverance as he approached eternity. When his best friend passed, the priest immediately rose from his chair and went into the church to say Mass for the repose of his best friend's soul. After Mass, the priest went into the sacristy to divest. While taking off his chasuble and stole, an apparition of the dead priest appeared to him. The apparition thanked him profusely for celebrating the Mass for the release of his soul from purgatory. However, he ended his thanks by asking, But why did you wait so many years? The suffering of purgatory is so intense that the priest hadn't been dead an hour yet, and he thought he'd been suffering the pains of purgatory for years. Now do you understand why I ask everyone I know to pray for my soul when I die? I've also asked every priest I know to celebrate Mass for me as soon as he hears of my death. By the way, if you think you'd like to read this book, and I hope you do, there's a link in my show notes for both the print and Kindle version. I hope I've sufficiently explained the reality of purgatory and the need to pray for the dead. You can learn more from my books, The Lay Evangelist Handbook, and Secrets of the Catholic Faith. There are links to them in my show notes. I also have links to some other very good resources about purgatory. This episode may have caused additional questions about purgatory. Heck, it may have even caused you to start thinking about death, judgment, heaven, and hell as well. If so, don't hesitate to contact me with your questions. You can reach me by going to the Get in Touch page on cantankerouscatholic.com. I promise to answer you within 48 hours. I'll see you next week when we begin our celebration of liberty and the foundation of our great nation. I've been sharing the faith with people for over 30 years. The Holy Spirit has used me to make hundreds of converts and 84 of them are my adult godchildren. When the Holy Spirit works through us in a big way, He usually uses the talents given to us before we were even born. When we develop those talents for Him, we're often impelled to pass on to others what we've done and how we've done it for the greater glory of God. That's why I wrote the Lay Evangelist Handbook. You might say the Lay Evangelist Handbook was 30 years in the making, because in this book I share with you all the best that I've learned about how to share the faith with laps and non-Catholics so you can bring your friends and family to the fullness of divinely revealed truth. The very first chapter gives you a thorough explanation of the things you need to do to maximize your effectiveness so you won't end up with egg on your face when trying to engage people. I explain the differences between the various types of lay evangelists and others you can learn from. I even talk about some statistics that should help give you a real sense of urgency for sharing the faith. Then I get to the step-by-step process for sharing the faith. I give a full presentation of the exact text I've used and refined for 30 years. I tell you what to do, what to say, and how to do and say it, while leaving room for you to work in your own personality and make these techniques your own. There's no other book like this on the market. So get your print or ebook copy of the Lay Evangelist Handbook today. It's available in print on cantankerouscatholic.com or in print and ebook on Amazon and Barnes & Noble.
0: Joe Sixpack. The every Catholic guy wants to make sure you're informed about all the Catholic news you need to know. Here's Joe Sixpack's top 5 Catholic news picks for this episode. Catholic news pick number 5.
1: Hats off to LifeSite News. An explosive report alleges the retired bishop of Wheeling, West Virginia, was a sex pest who spent millions of dollars on an extravagant and lavish lifestyle. According to an article that appeared in the Washington Compost, Bishop Michael J. Bransfield, 75, gave cash gifts totaling $350,000 to fellow priests, important prelates, and young priests upon which he had allegedly foisted his attentions. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes.
0: Catholic, Catholic News Pick number, number 4
1: Hats off to Blabber Buzz. Yeah, that's a real website, and it's credible. The University of Alabama Board of Trustees voted to give back a $26.5 million donation from a philanthropist who recently called on students to boycott the school over the state's new abortion bill. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic
0: Catholic News Pick pick Number number 3
1: Hats off to BlabberBuzz. In a victory for the First Amendment on campus, a bill that will effectively ban free speech zones on Alabama college campuses passed last week. According to a report by a local news outlet, the Alabama state legislature voted in favor of a bill that will ban free speech zones on college campuses in the state. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes.
0: Catholic Catholic News Pick Pick Number number 2
1: Hats off to Catholic World Report. The Archdiocese of Indianapolis announced that a local Jesuit high school will no longer be recognized as a Catholic school due to a disagreement about the employment of a teacher who attempted to contract same-sex marriage. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes.
0: Catholic Catholic News Pick pick Number number 1.
1: Hats off to The Blaze. A Catholic woman in the United Kingdom may be forced to get an abortion against her will after a judge ruled that it was in her best interest to terminate the pregnancy due to her developmental disabilities and mood disorder. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. I believe a really great way to teach the faith is through stories, parables, and anecdotes. So here's today's story. One mystical witness of the reality of purgatory was St. Teresa of Avila, the famed foundress of the Discalced Carmelites. St. Teresa had a great charity toward the souls in purgatory and assisted them as much as she could by her prayers and good works. God frequently showed her the souls she had delivered. She saw them from the moment of their release from suffering and their entrance into heaven. They generally came from deep within the earth. She says, I received tidings of the death of a religious who had formerly been provincial of that province, and afterward, another. I was acquainted with him, and he had rendered me great service. This knowledge caused me great uneasiness. Although this man was commendable for his many virtues, I was apprehensive for the salvation of his soul, because he had been superior for twenty years, and I always fear much for those who were charged with the care of souls. Much grieved, I went to an oratory. There I asked our divine Lord to apply to this religious the little good I had done during my life, and to supply the rest by his infinite merits, in order that this soul might be freed from purgatory. While I besought this grace, with all the fervor of which I was capable, I saw on my right side his soul come forth from the depths of the earth, and ascend into heaven in transports of joy. Although this priest was advanced in years, he appeared to me with features of a man who had not yet attained the age of thirty, and with a countenance resplendent with light. This vision, though very short, left me inundated with joy, and without a shadow of a doubt as to the truth of what I had seen. As I was separated by a great distance from the place where the servant of God had ended his days, it was some time before I learned the particulars of his edifying death. All those who were witnesses of it could not see without admiration how he preserved consciousness to the last moment, the tears he shed, and the sentiments of humility with which he surrendered his soul to God. A religious of my community, a great servant of God, had been dead not quite two days. We were saying the office for the dead for her in choir. A sister was reading the lesson and I was standing to say the versicle. When half of the lesson had been said, I saw the soul of this religious come forth from the depths of the earth, like the one of which I have just spoken, and go to heaven. In this same monastery there died, at the age of eighteen or twenty years, another religious, a true model of fervor, regularity, and virtue. Her life had been a tissue of maladies and sufferings patiently endured. I had no doubt, after having seen her live this way, that she had more than sufficient merits to exempt her from purgatory. Nevertheless, I was saying the office before she was interred, and about a quarter of an hour after her death. I saw her soul likewise issue from the earth and rise to heaven. These stories told by St. Teresa of Avila are edifying, real, and only part of what you can read in Purgatory, the book by Father Francis Xavier Shute. Hey, Six Packers, that's all for this episode. I've enjoyed having you with me. Don't forget to like me on Facebook and follow me on Twitter. The links are in my show notes. Also, remember to visit JoeSixPackAnswers.com to sign up for my free email course. Each short lesson arrives in your inbox every three days. We also have the Cantankerous Catholic social media group you can join to discuss anything about Catholicism, our country, or anything else on your mind. I visit the page every day. The link's also in my show notes. There are lots of other neat things of interest in my show notes, too. You can find them at cantankerouscatholic.com. And remember to live by the Joe Sixpack battle cry. Comfort and conviction don't live on the same block.
0: This has been The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Thanks for subscribing and be sure to visit cantankerouscatholic.com to get your free copy of Joe's popular book, The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It.